welcome to episode 109 of A Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, we continue discussing God of War. The mainstream media's inevitable attack on Fortnite has begun. There is a new trailer for Red Dead Redemption 2. Stardew Valley's multiplayer update is now officially available on beta. And in our book club feature this week, we look at the marmite of the multiplayer video game landscape as we talk about Mario Party. Let's start the show. This is A Link to the Cast. I am your party host again this week. I am Mark Robinson. With me to discuss all the ongoings in the world of video games and a few other things as well. I have with me again the Roman Reigns of the audio landscape, Jack Lazell. How are you? I'm not bad, thanks, mate. Just back from Saudi Arabia with a massive suitcase full of cash. And your neck probably about two inches, like into your head and into your shoulders because that uh, that spear the landing on that spear did not look good yeah also i would maintain that i speared brock lesnar into the cage <laughs> he landed on the cage i rolled off that bit of cage onto the floor i won that match should i believe i am that? the wwe champions are you the big dog jack lazell <laughs> i am the big dog yes i mean i'd say i am a large dog i am a great dane well, you are a mere chihuahua, my friend. I'd say your hair's nicer than Roman Reigns. Actually, no, Roman Reigns does have a very, very lovely, uh, some lovely locks on him. He does, and he has that shit, like, greasy. I can't really do that with my hair, it's too thin. He... Mine's like brown smoke. I, I will say, like, the the three of them together, the shield, like, they, they're saying about just when they used to come out, and they were just drenched in water. Like, they'd have a fucking shower before they came out to the arena. It was unnecessary. Yeah, I never... I never really got that, like, why you would just drench yourself and, like, does it make you look better? I don't know. Well, I mean, do you remember, like, my example? Some people look better wet. My, my... Like, Dean Ambrose is not one of those people. My, my go-to is, do you remember Kane in the 2001 Rumble, where he comes out and his hair's, like, soaking wet, but by the end of it, it's turned into, like, a frizzy perm because he'd been out for about 55 minutes. What? Yeah, and he looked like Kevin Keegan in a mask. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah fair enough oh football references um right let's talk about it um avengers (laughs) infinity war i was gonna say like it that could have been a lot of things i I, I don't know why but i thought kanye west was about to come up i mean we could talk about kevin keegan in a mask if you want to but i don't know if we can make two hours who's the better k kanye or keggy keggles What, Um, what are we thinking here I mean, Keegan... Who would you rather have a beer with, Keegan or, or, or Kanye? I was going to say, was it Kevin Keegan's or, was it, was it Kevin Keegan or Terry Venables that took us... It was uh, Euro 96. That was Terry Venables. It was Venables, yeah. yeah. When was Keegan? Was he before or after? He was after... Uh, he was an unsuccessful manager, much to the chagrin of all the uh, media over here, because everyone pretty much universally loved him. Uh, and his time as Newcastle manager was one of the greatest roller coaster rides in the history of the Premier League. Was that around the time where they were constantly having like those 4-3 score lines with Liverpool? 
Yeah, it's it's kind of a myth, but that that four three, there were two four threes of Liverpool back to back seasons, and yeah, he was manager for the one where they really collapsed. But they were uh, they were the the guys that blew the biggest lead in the history of the league. They were twelve points clear of of Alex Ferguson's Man U, and they they blew it. And then and Keegan had a spectacular rant. Uh, which is not unlike Kanye, but I don't feel like his rants are going to be as memorable as as, as Keki Kegel's, well, especially not in this country. Less chance of being quote retweeted by Donald Trump Jr. Anyway, that's uh, true. So Thanos, <laughs> yeah, Thanos, homecoming. Um, no, Avengers: Infinity War uh, came out last week, and I've seen it. You've seen it. Uh, I figured we'd talk a little bit about it. I'm sure at some point you'll you'll do a popcorn social with Dave, but um... there is a popcorn social 3.5 being dropped very soon. Oh, really? Which will cover the entire MCU. Really? Uh, me and yeah, me and Dave go phase by phase and do some of the TV shows, and then we review the new Avengers: Infinity War, and nice. we will also talk about the future of marvel uh yeah so that is coming very soon it's coming anon i was editing it earlier i look forward to, to hearing that so i because i actually went back and watched the first iron man and the first avengers film because it had been a good few years since i'd seen them uh and they still hold up really well those two films but infinity yeah. war um so as i always kind of say when we talk about marvel films on here i come into these films i think from a, a really good place of I know enough about Marvel and most of the characters that I have like a base understanding of what's going on, but I don't know enough about the actual kind of source material that the films are pulling from that I don't know like exactly what's going to happen. And if they do divert from it, I don't, I'm not really aware of it. So I can't either get angry about it or not that I tend to get angry about these things. Um, but I, I can, I'm usually always pleasantly surprised or I'm, you know, I'm not kind of like, right, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, um, which I think is a pretty good place to come from. Uh, I know you and Dave um, are much more invested in the Marvel Universe, um, but I'll come to you. Like, I mean, we, We've spoken about it off air, but um, we, we can have a, a little conversation. Uh, tell me what you think about it, how you think the film um, or the, the Infinity Gauntlet kind of source material holds up as a film. Uh, and just Thanos in general. So I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I thought they did the absolute best that they could by trying to cram just an unbelievable amount of content into one movie to balance all of the characters. I thought they did some really interesting team-ups with... Are we spoiling or are we going sort of mild spoilers? Um, I guess we can try and... Uh, we'll try and keep a spoiler three. Spoiler three. Okay, spoiler three. So yeah, there were some interesting pairings of Avengery type superheroes, which I thought they they did really well. I thought they handled Thanos exceptionally well. Like within the first five minutes of the movie, there is a, a little fight that Thanos is involved in against somebody that's very very powerful, and they instantly set their stall out to just show you unbelievably strong this guy is and at that stage he only has the one infinity stone as well um and as i say that's not a huge spoiler because that's like the first five minutes of what you're going to see so i thought that they did that very well and it, it kind of is thanos's movie he is the central character of it he connects everything together and it's kind of a blend of two comic book stories which is 
the Thanos quest and the Infinity Gauntlet six-part series by Jim Starlin. And they kind of finish around the early stages of the Infinity Gauntlet in the movie with what they've done up to that point. Uh, and yeah, I just thought it it was really well done. I think the only knocks on it that I could possibly say, and it's something that a few people have raised, other than maybe the length, because I think some critics are always going to be a little bit itchy after, say, two hours. If you sat in a film for two hours I, I, and you're not fully invested in, in the characters, I get it. And I guess the fact that it is a little inside baseball at times. So, like, Mark, I mean, that's why I'm going to move on to ask you your perspective, because as you've mentioned, you don't have as much, like, emotional um, investment in, in the story and the characters that y- you might have if you'd like specifically followed through the comics or you know gone out of your way to watch every single mcu film in like explicit detail so as a guy that was coming into it not like dark but like a little darker than me did you feel at any points there were things that went over your head or was it all kind of i get this i get the motivations and i and i understand what's happening no, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if you were referring to the New York Times piece that came out this week uh, with their review of the film. And they were basically saying, oh, if you don't know anything about any of the backstory to this film, you're not going to be clued in. And everyone was kind of like, well, I mean, yeah, because, you know, there's a lot of backstory before this film. And it, it was a weird review because clearly um, with any film that takes place in the MCU, if you go into one, or if certainly if you go into like the Avenger films or anything that ties up with a lot of characters, then yeah, you, you need to know what's going on before. Like stuff, origin stories or anything like Black Panther, you're probably going to be okay with because they are kind of like their own separate story within the MCU. Um, but something, for something like Aven- Infinity War, there's no way you could go into this without having seen, you know, at least the Avenger films and probably the Captain America films as well, certainly two and three. Um, so that was a really weird review. Um, yeah, I, I guess t- to me, like, as with any point you can make, like, there is some validity to the argument, but, like, I wouldn't fully argue it from that position. Like, y- you can sort of half say, well, I understand that, but... But it's like coming it in... Kind of... t- it's like coming into, like film six in the harry potter series you know like well yeah if you don't have watched the first five then sure if you come into the sixth one you're not gonna have a clue what's going on like i I think there is a an argument to that uh and i think it applies here as well but to, to answer your original question um no i i didn't at any point feel lost um because as i said i i'm clued in enough that i i, I know the general idea what's going on and having watched all of the MCU films bar The Incredible Hulk, which doesn't really count, uh, and Doctor Strange. So I was a little bit... Um, like, I didn't realise Doctor Strange had one of the Infinity Stones until it was presented in this film. Um, and I don't know if that was ever discussed in or mentioned in the Doctor Strange film. Um, it was, yeah. Yeah, I presume yeah. it would have been. Um, but no, other than that, like, yeah, I, I was able to watch the film and, and fully understand what was going on. And the thing is... What's really great about... Well, not necessarily what's great about this film, but I, I I appreciate the direction that they went in, that 
there's pretty much no real character development for any character outside of Thanos because pretty much every character in the film besides Thanos we've had a film either dedicated to them or they've been in a number of films like say the black widow where you know we've had a lot of character development over those films so this was the the time where you could give all of that a bit of a backseat and just say hey look we've seen hints of thanos through these films let's now just kind of go full on right let's talk about him and what his motivations are and you know yeah. give a little bit more kind of depth to his character and i think they do a tremendous job with that in ways he that... was sting in the rafters right like yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's this guy waiting to come down for all this time and then when he does like they, they it didn't to me it didn't disappoint yeah like, and like the thing is and the the kind of main complaint that you'll get across most people when talking about the mcu films is that the villains are either not fleshed out enough or they just don't get enough time before they're already killed off. And the thing about Thanos is that obviously he is, you know, the big villain we've been waiting for, but they give him this whole film basically to really like not only talk about what his motivations are, but make him like he's so absolute in in his motivations and feel so justified in it that it makes him that much more compelling. Um, in a kind of genocidal maniac sort of way and uh, he just I, I think Josh Brolin did a fantastic job with him um, oh he's fantastic yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I think that he was a real treat that you know I was expecting obviously to see a lot more of Thanos but there was so much more to him than I was expecting um, my only real um, the only real thing that I don't have a problem with or complain or complain about but like there wasn't enough of the times when you have the the groups of the the superheroes that are together uh, like there were some really enjoyable interactions between a number of them and uh, I just you know I got a kick out of it and I would have uh, happily enjoyed a lot more of, of that um, but I mean the film was two and a half hours long as it is and uh, yeah you can't fit any more into it but uh, but no, I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the ending and how they approached that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the thing that was cool with the mixing of the of the heroes was the fact that so Guardians they brought in James Gunn to to sort of oversee the dialogue. So like it had a bit of his input. Like he's the guy that directed the the two Guardians movies. So just little things like that. Like I, I get. In, put from the people that have been involved in the other previous movies made all of the characters feel like the characters and it's a good point like there isn't an awful lot of character development but i guess it doesn't really need to be no. like it is just all like this is a payoff and a payoff moment and it might put some people off i suppose because although if you look at the box office mark it hasn't put many people off. it's doing all right but, yeah, I, it it may put some people off um, that they haven't seen the previous movies. Like, I understand the reticence. Like, I have a, a good friend called uh, Mr. Dean Nickerbock. I don't think he's listening, but uh, he asked me, like, do I need to see Civil War, you know, going into this? And, and, and I kind of feel like the answer has to be yes. Well, <laughs> yes, kind of because it's say. a very good film. Yeah, it's a great film. Exactly, it's two and a bit hours long, but you, you buy into it. But but it is yeah, integral. It, it, like the the opening fifteen minutes or so of the film, all kind of comes off of the back of Civil War. Yeah, like so it's a 
I think it's a spectacularly well-made film. It's one of the most ambitious things I've ever seen. I don't think there's many times where a cast of people like this will be brought together. And that's kind of almost a testament to what the MCU has been because the people that were already stars, like your Robert Downey Jr. type characters who were already sort of well-known and well-established in, in Hollywood were, were kind of made bigger. And people like Chris Evans who you know was just sort of starting out his career or chris pratt who was kind of coming off being a a, a comic relief guy in a, an american sitcom have been elevated to these like mega star levels like we said it in our um in our mcu <laughs> popcorn social not to plug that again but like chris hemsworth was a guy in fucking like neighbors <laughs> yeah they just pluck a guy out of obscurity and now he's one of the biggest movie stars in the world so with all those things put together the only thing that i think is is a another fair argument and and it's something i've been struggling with over the last couple of days if you're making a film like this uh and it is kind of fan servicey is that a bad thing like for here's an here's two examples i'll give you right do you know much about tyler perry uh, the name doesn't ring a bell. Right, so Tyler Perry makes these films where he, he dresses up in drag as a character called Medea. Like, these films are, like, critically panned, um, but they are very popular still in America. Like, this guy does box office whenever he turns out. And people have just accused him over the years of playing to his audience. And to me, like, he probably is, but if what he's doing is profitable and the people that are going time and time again to go and see Tyler Perry's movies are happy to pay and see something that they enjoy, then there's nothing wrong with that. It's the same thing with uh, Kevin Smith. He's another director I really enjoy. His recent output hasn't been that great, but a lot of the things that he did and a lot of the choices that he made towards the middle point of his career were based around what his fans want now imagine that but like multiplied by a thousand in terms of the number of eyeballs and hearts and minds you have for marvel and if they are doing something fan servicey and if it does alienate people that are coming to it from an outside perspective well is that a bad thing here's the thing um and i'm not sure the video game industry does stuff like i'm not this sure all the time. fan service is the right term like if you are talking about, say, Star Wars The Force Awakens, um, there are elements of that film which you would uh, call fan service. But this is, you know, drawing from an original script that's been created, um, yeah, from scratch. <laughs> By a comic that was written, like, 25 years ago. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but with this, you know, most of these films, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but most of these films are all at some point drawing off of... Or drawing inspiration from a particular series of Marvel comics or a series, you know, particular story or whatever. So I'm not sure. really sure fan service is the right term to use, though I do kind of see where you're coming from. Um, but, but, but is it a bad thing to play to an audience no, of and course not, not try and win over the hearts and minds of everybody? No, but, like, I, is... but even with that said, I wouldn't, even if you want to say that these films are to some degree of fan, you know, fan service, the simple fact is, is they're very well-made films. And of course, Instead of, and you know, because this is the big difference between, um, like, Batman versus Superman and, um, you know, the Avengers films, is, A, the characters are infinitely more interesting because of the way they're presented, and B, the films are just a lot more enjoyable to watch, partially because of point A, 
um, you know, I look at the the last kind of hour of Batman versus Superman, and it's a fucking chore to watch. You know, and there are Marvel films that are two and a half hour longs, but they don't ever, you know, feel like that um, because they are just there are interesting elements as the film progresses and you know the the kind of final climax isn't just a a cgi mind fest or just mindless cgi for the sake of doing it um so yeah all right sure there i guess there is some fan service but i i i think it's a bit of a redundant argument because the films are very very well made uh and i know if there are people that are making the argument, that sounds like that's just coming from a, uh, a an angle of just being biased against Marvel, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah, maybe potentially, and and there might be people that are experiencing burnout from from all of the comics, which book is films. fair because there's been what nineteen of these fucking films now, on top of like all the Sony Marvel films and on top of all the DC films, and yeah, I can appreciate that. Yeah, and like yeah, all of the Fox stuff. Like there is a lot of films. Uh, like, but Black Panther's doing cinemas in this country is kind of the point I was driving at. So I guess that, and we've got Ant Man that sense, coming out in a few months. Yeah, and Ant Man, and we'll, in two and or three Deadpool. weeks we'll have Deadpool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I kind of get it, and the bubble at some point will burst. But sure. if you took like what you would rank as like the worst Marvel movie of the MCU, which most people would probably say is Thor 2, The Dark World. Even that has lots of great moments, and it has, like, Loki in it, and it has Natalie Portman, who's a brilliant actress, and Kat Dennings, who is just absolutely hilarious and adorable in in all of the right ways. And you could watch that film, and it would still give you a positive reaction. Yeah, I'm like, that's... You can use Thor 2 as, like, the kind of case for all the kind of negative tropes of a Marvel film in one kind of distilled product, and it would be uh, The Dark World. But, yeah, even still, like, you can watch that film on a Sunday afternoon and you can breeze through it, no issue Hmm. whatsoever. Yeah, and it introduces the reality stone Hmm. and does a really cool thing with the realm alignment, and it introduces ideas. Like, even when Marvel have hit you know, they haven't hit the ball to the boundary. They've just like rolled it into the covers for a single or whatever. If you're going to go cricket analogy, even those have meaning. Everything that they do and deliver has some sort of larger part of a plan. So all three phases up to this point have all been leading to Thanos, but they're all revealing parts of things. They're normalizing concepts. You're gradually being slowly brought around to the way that they want to deliver a story to the point where if you are familiar with all of these previous films, not only are you familiar with the characters, but you're also familiar with the lot that the whole universe and the way that everybody within it operates. And that just gives you a warm, fuzzy feeling when you see like, I don't know, a Dr. Strange talking to a Spider-Man, which is in the trailer. So I'm not giving too much away, <laughs> but like that, that, that just makes people happy. Like, you know, Oh, we're using our superhero names. Yeah. I'm Spider-Man. And he just looks at him as to say, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? Kind of thing. That's cool. Like stuff like that. But the point the the point always leads back to even if it is fan service the fans that they're servicing are, are gonna probably make them in excess of a billion dollars in the space of a week and holy shit that's crazy so they're doing something right they're 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 a dream factory at the moment marvel and yet they've another giant thumbs up 
from from what they've given here. I, I recommend everyone go and see this on a big screen because it it's just crazy. Indeed, and with our another another uh, mini popcorn social over and done with, uh, we shall move on to uh, what we've been playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Uh, Jack, no surprises probably from either of us, but we have been playing more of God of War. Dad of Boy is quite the game, Mark. It, it, it's just getting better and better the more I play it. So I am about seven hours in, although I had a... a a minor malfunction with my TV in the fact that I can only now turn it up or turn it off, which is a bit of an inconvenience because my TV is now at full volume, which means I can't turn it on. Uh, so I have to wait for a remote control to be sent to my house, uh, my flat next week. Um, so I got up until uh, the point where uh, there's a bit where you're kind of clearing these sort of branches not branches but i don't know this kind of weird membrane type stuff that is covering a, like a tree sort of or this area and then you go inside and i presume there's going to be some sort of mass collection of some sort of monster or something um so i don't know how far you're in um but i'm you know what do you have you have you turned the the bridge around like are you in the lake yet uh, I just got to that bit, yeah. Okay, you're at the lake. Okay, so I, I'm still a little bit ahead of you. Um, but yeah, tell me kind of, you know, from last week, uh, how, how you're feeling about the game now at this point. Because we were pretty positive on it last week. Yeah, uh, the the combat feels more comfortable, I think. Uh, you realise how much, <laughs> like, as you get further into the game and you're facing different enemies, it makes you think about fights in a different way so like if you were going to play a standard sort of rpg and you could just either stick to your like one or two standard attacks and pretty much get through the whole game and i don't know about you mark but previous god of war games seem very much like that where you have like one or two attacks that just get everything done for you that you need to get done i'm still not at that point i don't think Uh, maybe as you get deeper in the game you get more stuff and then you get like one crazy attack but yeah i think it's cool i've got like a few abilities that i've unlocked and, and different attacks um i'm enjoying the way that you level up your your gear your armor and stuff like once you unlock brock uh, and you can go to him and and finally all those pieces of hack silver that you've been getting from like amphoras and like chests and stuff like it makes sense now <laughs> i've actually got a use for that I, I kept seeing it thinking what the hell was that <laughs> as i'd started the game for the first couple of hours but yeah i it's it's really great it's it's a good hybrid between like an action adventure and an rpg and the story is great. Um, I'm enjoying the the relationship between Atreus and Kratos quite a lot. And yeah, I until I get deeper into the game, there's there's probably not an awful lot more really to say. But it it it's a lot of fun, right? I mean, have you got any new thoughts about the game or anything that you've noticed? Maybe. Um. So a lot of it is is kind of expanding on what was said last week about um. 
the fact that the, the combat is a lot more interesting um, than in prior God of War games, and it's a lot different to prior God of War games. Um, it clearly tries to give you um, a, a variety of enemies that make you have to kind of think about how you approach combat and, and try and make you, you know, sometimes try and um, fight from afar, sometimes try to get you fight close up. Um, you know, I think about... I presume you would have had the fight with, like, the abominable snowman gorilla type creature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was fun. So that was, you know, that was really freaking intense. And that really forced you to try and keep your distance. Um, like, because it's, it's very tempting to just most of the time try and just go up to any enemy and punch or, you know, throw your axe at them um, and, and use a trace to, to fire arrows. But with that particular boss you know you really have to keep your distance because it's, it's very difficult to get any swings in without taking damage um so i like that i'm enjoying just going around the environment you know it's up until the point i am at it and even still to the point i'm at now it, it is kind of linear to a degree but um the way i've always been doing it is uh, the boy will go off in one direction, so I'll just naturally presume that that's the right way to go. So I'm going to go in another direction and see what I find. And usually I'll find you know whatever um, trinkets are lying around to improve my abilities and whatever. Um, I'm still not particularly fond of, and this is the complaint I made last week about kind of modern game design tropes about your your hand is forced to find all of these uh trinkets and upgrades because the, the game you know has an upgrade system um and it i don't know it's it feels too I much i feel like it doesn't do a good job of explaining the significance of the first time you find them like in i, I games don't put as much effort in like say like you collect something and you've got a character in your party they might go what's that like it's easy like for atreus to ask you kind of what's going on and you're like oh i just found like the ravens for instance have you found any ravens yet yeah 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 and he'd be like what's that and he'd be like oh there's a bunch of them around and here's why and here's what they do if i collect them blah 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 it doesn't do a good job explaining the significance to me yeah, I think my problem is that um, this is an action game. It's not an RPG game. So I want to be, you know, moving and being part of the action. I don't want to be spending times in yeah. menus and selecting um, what rune I want to use or what armor I want to use. You know, that's just not what I want out of a game like this. <laughs> um, but I know why it's in I there. I like that, though. It's yeah. a hybrid, though, don't you it, think? It is it's a hybrid. Definitely a hybrid. It's definitely a hybrid, but a lot of games do this anyway now and it's it's just it's a i know it's a preferential thing um and that's 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 fine um but i think it's just because i enjoy doing the combat and the action so much that i don't want to be wasting time doing other stuff but whatever um you definitely see more of where i am now of kratos you know a points showing a different side to him um and you know i imagine that's going to be the crux of the story is that and the development of his character, which doesn't really come as a surprise, so I wouldn't really call that a spoiler. Um, uh, I like all the additional characters. So you've now met um, at least one of the... Um, oh, what the hell's his name? Was it Brock? I think it's Brock. Brock. Yeah, yeah. B-R-O-K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, he's a laugh. Um, 
and I I've enjoyed his dialogue, and I have enjoyed kind of uh, Kratos interacting with anyone else basically, um, because you know Kratos is a surly prick, and that immediately bounces off of any other character. And uh, yeah, and just you know the environments are just so so pretty. Um, I really like the lake area. I like going around and just you know trying to find stuff basically. Um, yeah, it's. I'm still not like gonna sit here and say yeah, it's definitely the best game on the PS4. It's definitely one of the best games of all time. But I am enjoying it. I want to play it more. I'm annoyed that I can't play it more. Um, which means that you know next week I'm probably gonna have more to talk about, or maybe I won't, depending on when my remote gets uh, delivered. Um, but uh, yeah, I I just I I want to sit down and play more of it, and uh, I. Hopefully, I don't know if Dave will be back next week, but I definitely want to get his impressions as well and find out what he's thinking about it. Because, um, you know, a lot of people fin- have finished it now, uh, and I want to get to that stage just because I want to know... Yeah, I, I genuinely, I want to know, like, what the story is. Because I'm... The one thing that I'm still not really sure about is kind of what the general motivation is. Because we're just that... Okay, we need to leave because some people are after us, um, but we're going up to the mountain to spread... The, the mother's ashes um haven't really got a lot more than that at the moment that's just kind of where we're at um and there's a few kind of additional um thread beats that are added which you're gonna find out pretty soon as well um so there's a little bit kind of lacking in that area but i mean this feels like it's got a bit of length to it in terms of the total game time um so i'm not too worried about that yet yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I, I, I've heard that the story is really great, but there's not a lot that's developed so far. So yeah, it, may, it does start a bit slow. That's probably my only criticism is that right away, why am I doing what I'm doing and why is it important? But then, you know, maybe that's a narrative decision. Maybe they've chosen to keep you in the dark because they're looking to pay it off a bit further into the game. Uh, yeah, and with that, if we have nothing more, you got anything else you've been playing? Anything else to, to discuss? Uh, nothing new, nothing new. Okay, I I bought Overcooked the other week, and at some point I'll probably talk about that, but I want to play more of that as well. Um, so... Waiting for Donkey Kong Freeze. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I can buy that, but then find the time to play it, but yeah, that's definitely on my radar as well. Maybe that'll be the game where I finally break my Switch in half. And Yakuza 6 as oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I need to start. Uh, has kind of been pushed back past God of War, and uh, again, I feel guilty. I do feel guilty. I'd really like to be playing Yakuza 6. One at a time. One at a time. Okay. I well... just want to see Naito as a mob boss. Is yeah. that too much to ask? <laughs> yeah, I keep forgetting that all the New Japan lads are in it, and that kind of makes me want to play it as well, but I don't know if I can jump in at six and just, you know, play it blind from there. Uh, play Zero, buy Kawami, buy Kawami to you when it comes out in a couple of months. You'll get it. Sure. And uh, with that, uh, it's time to now discuss the news. News on the mark! Jack, uh, there was a piece that went up today from Eurogamer uh, titled The Mainstream Media's Inevitable Attack on Addictive Fortnite Has Begun. Uh, So, effectively, 
a number of the kind of main uh, tabloid type newspapers in the UK have had stories about Fortnite and the effect it's having on the children. Oh God, dear, please, can we not think of the children? Um, there's, there's not <laughs> worst Helen Lovejoy impression ever. Yeah, there's not really a lot that's surprising about this because every time there's a big game that comes out, we end up with these stories of kid, uh, mothers saying, "Oh, my kid punched uh, my son, punched my other son in the face because he stole the controller, or he did this, or whatever." Um, and you know there are comments that are, uh, comments that were recently made by the culture secretary Matt Hancock. Um, here's the quote: He said, "Too much screen time could have a damaging impact on our children's lives, whether it's social media or video games. Children should enjoy themselves safely and as part of a lifestyle that includes exercise and socializing in the real world." Um, now, well, that is true. I, it's but, true. Like, it's got nothing to do with Fortnite. <laughs> Has got a thing to do with Fortnite. Um, the simple fact here is Fortnite and, you know, all the big consoles have parental guide type settings that parents can use. And I get that, you know, not all parents are either tech savvy or video game console savvy and aren't aware of, of the uh, settings that are available to them. But they are all there and they can be used to um, restrict the amount of time that your child can play a video game. Or there's just the simple way that you can, you know, um, parent your child yourself, you know, even without these settings, whether you have the console in a specific room that they have to be in there with you or whatever or you know have all your homework done or whatever the case may be um common sense precaution yes but this is just the typical sensationalist scaremongering type tabloids that uh, i've seen a thousand times um and you know fortnite will be here for the foreseeable future um if you let your kid spend 200 quid on your debit card that's not on the kid that's on you that's not on the video game that's on you uh for being an idiot parent and giving either giving your card details to your child or letting them find a way to have your card details um and if you disagree with me i'm sorry but (laughs) you're wrong uh any thoughts on that yeah i it is just common sense really i mean this is probably the biggest social penetration we've had from a video game since pokemon go arguably uh, and there were plenty of our um, plenty of articles about that within a few weeks of X person like stumbled into a lake because they weren't looking they they were trying to catch a fucking goldine or something. And, See, I actually saw know. a lot of positive stories about Pokemon Go because the one difference yeah, is were, that people were, were actually outside. But yeah, no, I, I think it was more just like kind of those um, like weird offbeat like last. Uh, new story on a, a news broadcast of oh and by the way this happened today oh, what a, well, how funny um, you know there were stories about like kids with autism that were going outside who barely ever go outside and were interacting with other people um, you know I think Pokemon Go had a real kind of positive uh, sure. general view but like if you think back to say like GTA 5 or Call of Duty or whatever like they're the ones that um, have had similar stories uh, similar to this one yeah, I, I guess so. Like, I always imagine in these sort of situations, it's like you've got column inches to fill. There's a J. Jonah Jameson style news guy standing over you like, OK, you know, masked menace terrorizes town. Like, 
if you want to slant the narrative against Fortnite because you know you're sick of your kid playing it and you you happen to be an editor in chief of a newspaper <laughs> you can do that i i just don't yeah i just don't think it people should be taking it too seriously it's just there's a there's a market to appeal to isn't there of uh, of people that like the scaremongering element of it and you can you can pretty much run down why anything's a negative but if you don't include the positive effects of it in there then it's very easy like you know there's probably people playing Fortnite now that are talking to people that they'd never speak to normally in real life making friendships maybe even meeting up with people because they played Fortnite together and you know maybe someone feels like kind of socially you know on their own or whatever and then all of a sudden they've got a bunch of people they play Fortnite with and kind of makes them feel part of something so you know there are lots of positives and negatives and as usual these articles just focus on the negatives so yeah it's almost kind of like it to quote jay-z just you know brush your shoulders off and forget about it really if you're enjoying playing fortnite fucking carry on playing fortnite if you like PUBG, play that who cares we have a new trailer for red dead redemption 2 oh um, boy the video itself is a little kind of heavier on character and story uh, than on on gameplay um, I imagine we'll probably get a lot of gameplay footage at E3 this year. I'd be stunned if we don't get that. Um, or at least Gamescom, because the game will be out a few months after that. Uh, the official blurb says that in America, 1899, the end of the Wild Wild... The Wild Wild West? Uh, the Wild West era has begun. <laughs> Boy, tell you what... Please tell me Will Smith's going to be in oh, this man, game. If only. Man. Right, Rockstar. The final boss battle is a giant metal fucking spider. Rockstar, that one's on you. Uh, the Wild West era has begun as lawmen uh, hunt down the last remaining outlaw gangs. Uh, those who will not surrender or succumb are killed. After a robbery goes badly wrong in the western town of Blackwater, Arthur Morgan and the Vinda Lind-, Lind gang are forced to flee, with federal agents and the best bounty hunters in the nation massing on their hills. The gang must rob, steal and fight their way across the rugged heartland of America in order to survive, as deepening internal divisions threaten to tear the gang apart. Arthur must make a choice between his own ideals and loyalty to the gang who raised him. Uh, so yeah, this game is out on the 26th of October 2018. Um, barring any uh, delays, hopefully we won't see them. Um, yeah, I'm presuming that we'll see a lot more uh, gameplay footage that will talk about how you know you interact as part of this gang and how that all handles basically um and you know i imagine with the success of gta 5 and the way that this game has the the kind of gang incorporated that there will be some sort of online functionality i presume um <laughs> yes mark yeah. there will absolutely be if i mean gta 5 is still in the top 10 sellers in the it uk like it has been for like a few years now but yeah how, how are you feeling about red dead 2 I mean, I I would be excited. I would literally be as excited to play Red Dead if the video wasn't a trailer. It was just the CEO of Rockstar just taking a shit and saying Red Dead's out in October. Well, we still got E3 to come, I guess. Yeah, like I, I it hasn't revealed anything. Like in terms of like in terms of say you you were an alien to this planet and you came down as an alien with no prior knowledge of any kind of video games or whatever and you saw this trailer you probably wouldn't get as excited about it but it's rockstar and we 
played and loved the first Red Dead Redemption. So, yeah. Uh, the gang element would be interesting to isolate. Like, would it be like the split uh, protagonist thing that we had in GTA 5, which I thought worked really well, actually. Uh, and I'm surprised it hasn't kind of been stolen and used in a few more video games since. So, yeah. Uh, it, it's going to be great. I just, I look at it, it looks beautiful. Yes, there's no gameplay footage, but we'll wait on that and it's not out to october you know that's quite a long way away that's all, a good five more months now. all i will say is after gta 5 um i personally felt that um i enjoyed gta 5 but i was done with that format for that open world game that rockstar have been doing effectively since gta 3 um they did add the the additional mechanic of having two extra characters that you could go between with gta 5 um and i i you know i wonder if they'll include that to some degree with red dead redemption 2 but i hope that it doesn't fall into the trappings of hey go and talk to this this guy he'll give you a bunch of missions and then some point during those missions you'll come across another person and now you have to go and do a bunch of missions for them uh, rinse repeat ad nauseum like i hope it derives from that formula at least enough that it feels new in some ways um not that i you know still wouldn't enjoy the game if it was like that but i felt that with GTA 5, we'd reached the end of that particular tether, and I hope that Rockstar can mix things up enough, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but it's obviously still going to have an element to oh, that. Oh, of course it will, of course. Yeah. We'll see. This is the thing that I'm I kind of pointing out. Like, I'm really excited to play it, but that has given us nothing other than like the basic knowledge of what the game's about but then if you think about movie if you think about movie teaser trailers they they give you nothing really you just see a few characters saying a few words seems to be now it's the done thing to put like a 90s rap song in the background (laughs) just you know it takes you to make a thing go right etc etc so yeah nothing new really it feels a little bit like lacks in that section but i still gonna fucking buy it and it's probably still gonna be one of the best games of the year i'd imagine let's be honest they could have done a radiohead and announced the game like a week before release or days before release and it would have sold gangbusters uh so this one caught my eye there's a game coming out next week called trailblazers which will be on ps4 xbox one pc and switch uh switch version sorry is coming out in june um, so this is uh, developed by the fabulously named Super Gonk, and it's uh, <laughs> yeah, of course it is. It's a paint smearing, cult focused arcade racer. Now, uh, I looked at the trailer, and it looks, you know, it's got a kind of wipeout, fast racing neo vibe to it. Um, and quite honestly, we could do with more of those types of games. Um, Having a look at the uh, the way it kind of plays, it's, it's a three v three kind of co-op racer, and the idea is that you can um, lay like a, a paint trail, um, and then your kind of fellow people on your team can use that paint trail to get a speed boost, basically. Um, and it looks I don't know like I'd never thought of the idea of doing a kind of wipeout type of game, but doing it as a team racer. Um, so it's kind of like it's basically like Splatoon, but on well not wheels but 
in a, in a hover car, basically. Um, I'd recommend checking it out. It looks really interesting. It, it gives you basically, like, the... It's a gameplay trailer, and it kind of explains what that kind of core mechanic is. Um, and, yeah, it looks really, really cool. Um, and because we still have no... Any idea of when we'll get Virtual Console and if we'll get a uh, F-Zero game on the Switch, uh, I'd recommend people uh, go and have a look at this, basically. Episode 1 Pod Racer would be nice as well from the N64. Yeah, well... <laughs> uh, Can't see the riots pulling no. that one up. No. Uh, Stardew Valley's multiplayer update is now available in public beta on PC. Steam only, currently, and GOG in the next few days. Um, update 1.3, as the new multiplayer-focused patch is known, there's been internal testing and QA for several months now. Well, I mean, this the, the multiplayer aspect of Stardew Valley has been discussed far back as before the actual game was ever released. Um, it's it's quite amazing how long this has been going on for now. Um, before you hoist hose and dive on him, uh, however, there are a couple of things that you'll need to know and do. Uh, first, be aware that beta is currently only available on Steam. Um, uh, it kind of goes through the, the description for what you need to do. You can look on Eurogamer, they have an article about it, and it'll explain you know how you can jump in, basically. Uh, publisher Chucklefish notes that you'll be able to use your existing farm in the beta, but only once you've kitted it out for multiplayer action. However, it strongly advises that you make a copy of your existing save beforehand, just in case, given that this is still a beta and all. You'll find fee full details on how to do this over in the latest Stardew Valley blog post. Um... I am really curious to see what this is going to look like. As mentioned, this has been uh, rumoured for... Or this is, the details or the announcement that we'd have uh, multiplayer goes back forever in Stardew Valley. Uh, Switch players are going to get the update first, which excites me because that's why I'm playing Stardew Valley now. Um, and, you know, I've played through the game in three different settings now um, and put, you know, over 100 hours into each of them. So I don't feel like there's a lot more left for me to do. So the concept of having multiplayer excites me a lot. I can't remember, you, you have Stardew Valley. I have it. I haven't played it much, though. Um, kind of because you and Dave have warned me that it, it will eat my life. <laughs> like, you've actually both scared me off getting into it, really. Uh, damn it. Well, I mean, you should just let it consume your life. I mean, it's it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful game. Uh, I'm really, really curious to see how um, multiplayer is going to... Like, is it going to turn Stardew Valley into an MMO? Because... That would be amazing. Um, from looking at what they say... Uh, or is it going to make it like Farmville? No, well, yeah. I, I doubt it. Uh, Chucklefish uh, cautions that multiplayer sessions work a little differently to solo mode. Uh, so there are certain things you'll need to be aware of. For instance, in order to sleep and progress the next day, every online player must be in their bed and must confirm the dialogue option once it appears. Now, I mean, in fairness, you are um, restricted to the, the in-game clock, basically. So I think at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning, if you're not in bed, um, the game just automatically will go to the next day, but you start with, like, basically no energy or health. So, you know, at some point, every player will be in bed. So, you know, you won't have players... Like, you know on FIFA when someone pauses the game for... Uh, did they change that, where you can only pause the game now for a certain amount of minutes or, or amount of times? 
Uh, yeah, you only get, like, it, it starts a countdown, basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there won't be any trolls just, you know, staying out for hours upon hours doing whatever. Uh, additionally, certain features and functions are shared across players, while others remain separate. Your farm, money, and world updates are shared, for instance, while skills, NPC, relationships, and inventories are all separate. Although an offline player's inventory can be accessed through the cabin chest of drawers if you need something from them in a pinch. So, uh, aside all that as well, there's uh, some single-player additions, including the mysterious Nautical Fair uh, that creator Eric Brown has been teasing at various intervals over the last couple of months. So, yeah, I, I'm really, really excited to see what that looks like, and uh, I can't wait to, to jump in and see what it looks like, because, you know, I didn't have no time as it is to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what they do with it as well, because... If ever there was a game that I looked at and, and thought it didn't necessarily need a multiplayer mode, it probably would have been Stardew Valley. But hey, that's what creativity is all about. Like this guy's vision, like he, he created it and it's gone on to be really one of the biggest success stories of recent times for, for indie games that, that I can think of. So good luck to him. And uh, yeah, can't wait to see what happens with yeah, it. Yeah, it, it's been like the big... Um golden carrot that players have been waiting for for a long time um some of them have been uh, ruder in their approach to discussing how much they look forward to it but you know it's finally that's just now. humans it is it is um anyway uh pubg dev confirms arrest of 15 hack developers as anti-cheat efforts continue so arrests Indeed, yeah. So you could be arrested for cheating at a game. Well, let's let's see what it says. Developer Blue Hole has confirmed that 15 people uh, suspected of developing hacking and cheating software have been arrested as part of an ongoing investigation with multiple partners and judicial authorities in China. So there's the key word there, China. Uh, as you know, more already a word, more of a pronoun, but yep. You you know what I mean. Yeah. As you all know uh, by now, uh, Blue Blue Hole wrote in a recent post on Steam, we've been doing everything possible to root out cheating from PUBG. The ultimate goal is to create an environment for players that is completely safe from hackers and cheaters. To this end, we've upgraded our security measures, improved our anti-cheat solutions, and recently even added a new anti-cheat solution on top of all of that. Uh, in the meantime, we've been uh, continuously gathering information on hack developers and sellers, and have been working extensively with multiple partners and authorities to bring these people to justice. Um, now this, yeah. So it says here, what does it say? Um, so the suspects, um, I don't know if it's these or others, have been fined around five point one million dollars, um, about three point seven million what? pounds, and others are still being investigated. Uh, Blue Hole added that malicious code, including Trojan horse software, was included in some of these programs and was used to still use information. So okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if somebody's trying to back hole into someone's like credit card or or whatever, then yeah, fair enough. But I mean, come on, like if somebody just wants to be all powerful on a video game, just ban them. Do not arrest them. But yeah, for I can only go with the information that you've you've given me here, Mark. But think about this as a staggering statistic. Uh, since January alone, uh, PUBG have banned like banned over one million players. Uh, which wow. is just insane. Uh, I mean, they've sold about 30 million copies on PC. Um, I but, wouldn't uh, wouldn't sniff at that. <laughs> but that that's a, a ridiculous number. And like, 
so I work, you know, within um, custom support on video games, and this is something that I, I look at on a daily basis, which is uh, players that use hacking software and cheats and whatever. Um, and, you know, we have, like... Uh, we handle bans and suspensions for this kind of stuff, but we don't look at anywhere near the kind of numbers that PUBG are, are working with. And I can't even imagine a what their support system looks like for you know getting reports of this nature. Um, I, I just it it I, I I struggle to comprehend like thinking about the numbers that I know and the numbers they must be seeing, uh, whether it's player reports or whatever you know systems they have in place. Uh, so that's kind of eye-watering, just kind of staggering. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> the fact that they are going out of their way to, to ban over a million players shows they are very proactive within this. Um, yeah, I guess it's a credibility thing as well. Because absolutely. If, if you've got Fortnite, which is basically doing what you did, but more popularly, then you're going you're gonna to do your best to think like, right... We need to guarantee people a stable experience. So if banning all of the cheat type characters as as like violently and quickly as possible is the way they're gonna go, then yeah, fair play to them. But uh like I'm on their side on this one. I'm not on their side about them chasing down nonsense things about, you know, other games that are, are trying to do similar things, but yeah, like it's like moderations or alterations on a theme. They seem to be chasing after like little details. Like, wasn't it like they uh, they had a, a saucepan in their game and they were having a go at another game, which is like theirs with a different kind of saucepan in it. That that kind of uh, put me off them just a little bit. I mean, Overcooked has a sort of saucepan, so maybe they should go after them. But I wonder. My uh... Life has saucepans. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't arrest. want to have to pay PUBG <laughs> a tenner every time I have pancakes. Like, that's not cool, man. Um. But yeah, I'm curious to know like what the uh, the legalities behind what you know these players are being arrested for because is is it the actual hacking or is it you know using the the hacks and the cheats to get into steal other people's information because I would presume that's what the legality what what the actual thing they're being arrested for is but I don't know I'm not an expert in that field um, but yeah despite it being your industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are certain things. You know, I've only been in the industry for like a year and a half, so give me time. Yeah, that's true. If you ask me about men's blazers, I, I probably don't have that much insight. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, FIFA 18 gets free World Cup mode in May, uh, and I appreciate the subtitle. At least England have a chance with this one. Uh, so on the 29th of May, you can win the tournament with England in the game of FIFA 18 uh, to make up for England probably getting knocked out in the group stage in real life. Uh, the update, which will be available uh, for all platforms it's on, um, version of the game it includes, uh, will include the officially licensed World Cup mode. Expect authentic teams, stadiums, kits, badges, the official match ball and the trophy and Putin in the stadium. Doesn't sound like EA added an authentic recreation of the inevitable crowd trouble though. <laughs> well done, you're a gamer. Wait, is Putin actually in the game? No. Or is this just a joke? That that bit was just me. Um, I am so excited if Putin, if you can win the World Cup and Putin presents the World Cup to your World Cup winning captain, like that, that 
I'm hyped if that was actually part of it. They, they got him in for mocap over the weekend. Uh, you can play from the group stage to the final in Moscow, including friendlies and online tournament modes. There's a cu- custom tournament mode which lets you use any licensed national team in FIFA 18 uh, to create your own World Cup. Um, all 12 Russian stadiums to be used in the World Cup are in the game. EA said there are cinematic scenes that go on long after the final whistle, which sounds like a bit of a treat. Um, and there's also, surprise, surprise, a FIFA World Cup Ultimate Team Mode, which includes revised chemistry system, whatever the fuck that means. I don't even care about any of that. But yeah, uh, so un- unsurprisingly, there will be uh, an additional Ultimate Team World Cup mode. Um, so yeah, go and spend your money on that, kids. Um, Can I put together, like, do they have, like, legends in this World Cup mode? Like, can I stick Pele up front with Rude Hullet and have, like, all kind of crazy stuff like that going on? Uh, It says in in the Ultimate Team mode you'll be able to do that. Some of the most iconic players from the tournament's history, um, but it doesn't say anything about the actual proper uh, World Cup mode itself. So, surprise, surprise. But uh, yeah, so that's coming. So if you and it's free. Like I yeah. remember, say like World Cup 2010, they bought out a whole game uh, that you had to buy additionally for like full game price. Which, considering the World Cup is on for like a month, month and a half at, at most, is pretty much a piss take, really. Yeah, I... And then they have like the FIFA 19 will be coming out like what three or four months afterwards. Like I remember um, getting roasted the World Cup 98. Um, which is still one of my favorite football games. And, like, you know, that was way before FIFA and more well, EA's, you know, vision of FIFA now became the, the fucking juggernaut that it is. And, like, even, I don't know, maybe even seven or eight years ago, they didn't really think about the fact that it's hard for us to justify having some... It's probably just... a We can't justify having this much of the team working on an additional football game while we're still making next year's FIFA game and you know I can't imagine that the co- it's it's cost effective basically I would I would presume um so yeah that's probably why we're not getting you know an additional FIFA game this year yeah we don't need it doesn't need to happen though oh, like, God, this no, should just be a patch and it is and I appreciate that yeah, and, the EA aren't charging you extra for this. And unless the, they are, in which case, fuck it. And the simple fact is, any money that was to be made from a, a World Cup game will be made through back through Ultimate Team with the World Cup mode in there. So that's there's your cynicism. For yeah, the that's a good point. Uh, and finally, yeah. in the news this week, uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, for the UK sales uh, for this week, uh, God of War is number one. Uh, so coming in strong, Kratos, good job, well done. Um, but then, so Far Cry 5 is number two, and then the Nintendo Labo Variety Kit is number three. Uh, that's wow. one that costs £60. Pounds. Um, and in 20th place is the 70 kit, 70 quid kit with the robot. So... I think that's still pretty good for what Labo is because it's a really weird fucking uh, peripheral with cardboard. Um, I wonder if that will be a, a thing that will do you know better at Christmas and or sell a lot more at Christmas. Um, but for what is just a, a weird fucking idea from Nintendo that includes cardboard, they're third in the charts, um, and you know people have been paying sixty quid for that, so. Uh, I think the the pull of Nintendo and the Switch at the moment are very, very strong. I wonder if it will slow down at any point, but it doesn't seem to. Like, they've got 
essentially peripheral cardboard to number three in the UK game chart. So anything's possible, isn't it, really, with Nintendo? Yeah, I mean, I don't know... When's that live surface coming out? One of those... Yeah, uh... that's, that's, that's the big thing. That's the I, It's that and Smash are the next two big things that uh, the people kind of wondering. And again, I keep thinking maybe E3 and whatever their Nintendo Directs that they do will be uh, where we get any kind of announcement, maybe. Um, but also, and we mention this every time when we discuss the UK charts, at number 10, still in the top 10 UK best-selling games uh, you know, per week, fucking GTA V is still there. Just, if that game is still in the top 10 when Red Dead Redemption 2 comes out, I just... Well, it will be, yeah. I mean, it will be. I mean, yeah, it doesn't exactly come as a surprise, but just every time we bring it up, uh, it continues to astound me. Um, Waiting for that GTA Five Battle Royale to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, maybe Red Dead at this point. Who knows? Um, and that's it for your news. Uh, and now we are going to move on uh, to our book club feature this week. Uh, myself and Jack, we're going to, as we usually do when it's the two of us, uh, we're going to go back in time to um, when we had less grey hair uh, to talk about a game that we were very competitive with over, um, along with a few of our friends as well. Uh, it is that behemoth that is known as Mario Party. Mario Party is a party video game series featuring characters from the Mario franchise in which up to four local players or computer-controlled characters compete in a board game interspersed with minigames. The series was developed by Hudson Soft and published by Nintendo. The series is known for its party game elements, including the often unpredictable multiplayer modes that allow players uh, that allow play with up to four and sometimes eight human players or CPUs. After the development of Mario Party 8, several of Hudson Soft's key designers left to work for Nintendo's subsidiary ND Cube, the developers of Wii Party. And starting in 2012 with Mario Party 9, ND Cube has taken over development of the series for Hudson Soft. The latest title in the series, Mario Party Star Rush, was released in 2016 for the Nintendo 3DS. The series currently holds the record for the longest-running minigame series. As of December 2014, Nintendo reported uh, cumulative worldwide sales of 39.6 million game copies in the Mario Party franchise. So, let's go back uh, to 1998 and the release of the original Mario Party. Um, Can you fade in some music in here like maybe like eiffel 65 blue <laughs> blue or something assuming that was 98 <laughs> um now i didn't actually come in at mary party i came in at mary party 2 um i know you had you had all three didn't you for the n64 i feel like you did i do have all three for the n64 yes because i'm insane yeah well yeah um now was you there at the start or because uh, i know you know pretty much from 
the time that all of us were together as friends, which would have been in um, the early 2000s, um, you know, we were playing the N64, so we were playing games like Mario Party, but did you have it at the beginning, or was you kind of a few years later afterwards? Mario Party 2 was the first one that I had, uh, which I played kind of for the first few times around our friend Drewman's house, if you remember the great Andrew Dean. But uh, yeah, I, so I wasn't really... I wasn't really aware of it at all. Like, for instance, like just to go back to what you said in the intro, Mario Party series has sold 40 million copies. Is there a more anonymous series of games that has sold 40 million copies? Because I think, like, if you asked the average punter, they wouldn't really know much about Mario Party. Like, there's not a lot of cultural penetration here. Especially before, like, I know a few years ago they started doing the giant bomb things where they were all playing the Mario Parties. Like, if you look at the credits and the way people react, that is the first time a lot of people are actually Mario Party be played. So I hadn't really heard of it at all until, yeah, I, I went around Andrew's house, I played it. I uh, Mario Party 2, that is. I just fell in love with it as like a thing that you can play with your friends that's completely stupid for a couple of hours and you can fall out and make up and you know be a thief and also help people out and yeah it's uh it's basically video game monopoly in the sense that it goes on for bloody ages and by the end you kind of forget why you're doing it in the first place but you have a blast along the way yeah um i would definitely recommend if you have never um seen or know anything about Mario Party, I would recommend watching um, any of the first couple of Giant Bomb videos. Uh, I think they're all up on YouTube in some description. Or just find any of kind of Jeff Gersman's rants about uh, Mario Party because while some of them are exaggerated, some of the complaints he has are also true. Um, but that's also kind of part of what Mario Party's charm is. Um, to give a, a description of what the game is, so it is a, a, a board game in video game form. Um, and uh, using the original as an example, you could pick from one of six characters um, and you pick a board game. And each board game has a particular theme or gimmick to it. Um, and at each each round, effectively, and you can pick from, is it 15, 25, and 50, was it? Uh, it is, or is it I think it's 10, 20, 30, 20, 35, 50. Something like that. Um, so each round consists of each player that's playing to roll the dice and move and do whatever actions take place and at the end of it there is a mini game that happens um, the aim of the game is to collect coins and then to uh, purchase stars uh, with stars uh, costing 20 coins but there are other ways to collect stars as well um, and the, the best ways to collect coins or the ways that you collect coins is either you land on the, the right type of uh, circles or squares or whatever the, the landing uh, markers on the board consist of or what they represent uh, to acquire coins or to win mini games. Um, and I think there's probably... Oh, and you can steal coins from other players as well. Um, the large part of the appeal of what of Mario Party are the mini mini games. Um, each game in the series has its own collection of mini games. Um, now I haven't played some of the latter Mario Party games. I would imagine that they at some point started to 
rehash or kind of retweak older mini games uh to incorporate them because you know no there's... they just made the game worse like nine and ten are abysmal i'm abysmal i'm game. sure that's the case and that was around when they started to incorporate like uh motion controls and uh which one was it as well that had the the voice um the microphone i think it was six on the gamecube you could use the microphone <laughs> yes, as well it was yeah yeah um, but like for those first three, definitely at least. Um, four is good too. Four is really good. So I never. I think I may have played four at some point, but definitely those first three on the N sixty four. It was just another way of playing a board game, basically. But like a lot of those early games and the mini games that they use, you know, fine. Some of them are throwaway. Some of them, like Honeycomb Havoc, are just horrendous and bad. And the music from it is just ingrained into my head and wakes me up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. But <laughs> there are a lot of those mini games that are really kind of simple distilled ideas um, that, you know, there's a challenge to them, there's skill involved. Um, and, you know, when you're playing with three other friends, um, certainly, if, you know, if you're doing a 50 round turn that's going to take the entire evening, uh, there's a real. You know, if you're playing with other people that are really into it and have that competitive streak, uh, it's it's a it's a really enjoyable experience. I've always had certainly playing with you, uh, Niner and Biggs, friends of the yeah, show. Yeah, it, it's it's weird because it's it's one of those video games where you know for a while, certainly in the last few years, the term sort of casual gamer. It's almost derogatory where it's like, oh, you know, this isn't somebody that's dedicated to the act of playing video games. Mario Party is a game where you could literally show this to anybody uh, who doesn't even play video games and they would know what they're doing instantly. Everyone has experience with board games. Everyone kind of plays one when they're growing up. And it's literally just that. And at the end of each round, there's a mini game. It often involves memorizing one, maybe two buttons. It gives you the option to do a, like a run through. It'll give you the controls so that like you see your character on the screen and you can do the movement from the game there without actually going into the game even. So it's about as helpful as it can get when you're actually playing it. And as you say, you're invested in it. <laughs> it can get to, to to the point where it's it's hideously competitive. Like it. I, I mean, we've played games where, like, the things that you're doing are, are really tactical and you can get really harsh with it as well. Like, you know, stealing coins and stars from people and, like, deliberately, like, losing games, like, so that if you're put in a two versus two situation, like, the person that you're with doesn't get money as well because they might catch up with you as well. So it's um it's something that's quite kind of almost throw some people, but to others, like, it's it's competitive as hell and it's just a lot of fun really like there's nothing you could say about mario party i mean aside maybe if you like being forced to play the same games over and over again but i've never enjoyed a playthrough like i've always had fun there's always been moments where everyone's like in tears laughing at something ridiculous that's happened there's a random element to it like you could be in the lead by some degree and then immediately, like three or four turns later, be in last place. And I think some people don't like that because the people that are very serious about their video games and like to, you know, win based on skill. Mario Party's not about that, is it? It's just a, 
it's chaos it's it's really organized colorful chaos and i love everything about that i will say this um the uh, mario party is probably the first game where i was introduced to um a little thing called rng uh the random number generator um because there are parts of mario party um that as jeff gersman would describe is just some random bullshit yes and that is fair you know there are times when you're playing and uh you've got three stars and everyone else has no stars and then you just random on a, uh, on a certain uh, landing space and for whatever reason Bowser the game often comes into play and for whatever reason the game just goes you know what you're in the lead but we're just going to give you another star for no reason whatsoever for no rhyme or reason boom go and have one um and that can sometimes be game breaking sometimes it goes the other way where um you have no stars and the game decides to be nice but there's no like the game, and I don't know, again, I don't know if this changes with later games in the series, but there's no kind of push and pull of the game knowing, like, right, these players or this player is really far ahead and this player is really far behind. So we're going to add some sort of handicap to the first player where, you know, there's more chance of them landing on a particular space Um or there's more chance of the player in last place of uh, landing, you know, on a hidden block that has a star. Like... As as long as I've been playing it, I like played a lot of Mario Party. That has never felt like it existed. You know, the game does feel as random as it could possibly be, and I kind of enjoy the chaos of that. I I enjoy that there's no kind of like if you think about in Mario Kart, if you're in first place, if you pick up a, an item box, you're pretty much only ever going to get a green shell or a banana. If you're in last place, you know you're going to pick up a blue shell or whatever the the trinket for that particular game in the series is that doesn't exist in mario party it's it's a just complete chaos um and i i enjoy it and i appreciate it and i embrace that yeah exactly my point really it it doesn't it, it it's all those games where if you are hell-bent on winning you know it's probably not going to be for you it's a sort of game where the experience of what's happening is kind of more important than the outcome. And I think there are some people that would hate it for that reason, which is why it's a little bit Marmite. And there are others that, who embrace the chaos and just enjoy it for what it is. And a lot of those mini games are really, really fun to play. Like the mechanics are simple and there are ones that you, you can play over and over again and, and still have an equally good time. There are some that are terrible, but that's the good thing about Mario Party is that there's such a wide variety of, of things that you can do that, it, yeah, if, you, if you're if you on a bad RNG spell of getting the same games over and over again, that's going to feel bad. But, you know, you could go 50 turns without playing the same uh, game again, now, which is cool. Now, my question for you, do you have any uh, fond, uh, any mini games that you remember fondly or are particular favourites? Mario Party 2... I really like everyone's on like a big a ball basically everyone's on a ball and you've got a small circular area with cliffs all around it and you've got to knock your fellow Mario Party competitors off the cliff I I enjoy that uh, there's a game where everybody has a like remote control car that kind of handles weird 
and everyone's got a balloon on their back and your the aim of the game is to pop everyone's balloon in the last part and stand tank one there's like a an um air hockey one where you have two teams of two that i really like uh any of the like really detailed and it started in mario party 3 like special stages where you've got to do a multitude of tasks to guide each other through it um i really enjoy as well so yeah i mean there's there's loads there's like a whole catalog of, of brilliant things nintendo actually released a, a top 50 uh mario party game for the 3ds at full price which i didn't buy um because it would have just been completely mad because it's not a proper mario party game with, like the game board and everything but at some stage like if that's like ch- kicking around for like a fiver or a tenner or something I- i'd definitely pick it up and play it i think just to see what like the top 50 voted mario party maps are is there anything that that you really enjoy like any particular mini games i like the really really simplistic just fucking dumb ones where you know they were sitting around in the office in the development room for one afternoon and just went just hashed up an idea in five minutes and like you know what fuck it that works and the one off the top of my head is shy guy says it's just right look here's shy guy he's got two flags he lifts one and you make sure that you lift the right one as well. That's it. That's all there is to it. And at some point, Shy Guy starts to be a dick, and he goes to lift up his right hand, and then he'll put his hand down and lift up his left hand. And, you know, pretty much, like, nine times out of ten, you'll all get thrown off and all end up uh, losing. Um, the one where um, you're in a barrel and uh, the chain jump is asleep, and you have to kind of slowly creep towards the exit, and if you don't drop your barrel in time to hide, and he wakes up, He'll go after you. That's assuming Chain Chomp is a he. Sorry, I just presumed he's gender. Um, Hexagon Heat. He's gender fluid, actually. <laughs> Hexagon Heat is another kind of really simple idea where you've got coloured hexagons and you've got to make sure you're on the right coloured one when uh, Shy Guy again lifts up a particular coloured flag. Um, Roll Call is one that's also kind of used in uh, Pokemon Stadium. And that one always I always got a kick out of. Um, and then kind of any variation of like the bumper balls because there's a few like that that I enjoy um, and any of the ones where you need to um, rearrange or change uh, a, a, a character's face I know there's the one with Bowser the facelift where you know it'll give you a version of so it uses the um, the home screen from Mario 64 with Mario and you can manipulate his face and it basically uses that and asks you to change Mario or Bowser's face um, to whatever kind of version of the face it gives you um, so they're always good fun um, but yeah there's there's loads just avoid honeycomb havoc um, the other thing as well and this is one of the things we haven't properly touched on is the fact that the each game has its own series of, of boards and they have their own kind of themes and their own gimmicks um, and you know the the characters have their own little outfits that they wear depending on the theme whether it's like a cowboy theme or a space theme um, and these board games have like different elements to it my favorite one immediately is the the space level from um, Mario Party 2 which has the big yes. fuck off laser so as you're going around the board there's uh there's kind of a central platform as you cross it uh, a timer starts to go or uh, not a timer but it starts to go down from i think five to zero and when it... yeah it's a countdown clock every time someone crosses it it starts at five every time someone crosses it it goes down one yeah and uh, it's like there's a really kind of long uh 
series of landing spaces you can be on. And if you go past it and it ticks to zero and you're on one of those spaces, you're, you're fucked, basically. You're losing everything. Um, so that's like... There is a, a particular tactical element that there is to be had within Mario Party, um, but it does require, you know, knowing the boards. Uh, any favourite boards? I love the cowboy-themed ones. Full of them over the years and they always bring a smile to my face. Is that because Yoshi wears a little cowboy hat? What does he? Maybe he does. I'm not sure. He should, though. Everybody doesn't. wears a little cowboy hat. Everyone's got, like, the little chaps and the, the hats and stuff. And, yeah, I just... I think, like, you know, there's there's excessive use of the word varmint to describe Bowser. And it's, yeah, it's just pretty quaint. It's, it's silly, but it's a lot of fun. And then the, the key thing, or the obvious thing to point out, is that what makes Mario Party so effective is the fact that it was on the N64, and what does the N64 have? Four controller ports um, that just make it so easily accessible to play as a four-player game. Um, now, I'm not going to sit here and say that you should never play Mario Party as a single-player experience, because that would be hypocritical, because I have played Mario Party as a single-player experience. Uh, I've played a lot of Mario Party as a single-player experience, because I was clearly a lonely child. And Jack, I know you have as well, so don't even try and say otherwise. What are you trying to insinuate here, son? <laughs> uh, and yeah, it is... It is a fair thing that you can say that, you know, Mario Party, it's not a single-player game, really. It does exist as a single-player game, but... It the name the name gives it away. It's a party. You have to play with other people. Oh yeah, it, it's it's essential to play with other people. I there's no way I would ever want to talk about this game and not have fond memories of like wanting to murder my friends while playing Mario Party or being so mad at the RNG at Mario Party that I, I just can't even speak. Like that wouldn't happen if I was just playing against like a computer version of Princess Peach or something. Now, we should possibly discuss the fact that you know, this series has gone on for a while now. We're up to Mario Party 10 on the Wii U. Um, and they ruined it, Mark. They ruined it because Mario Party 9 and 10, each character doesn't individually move around the board. They're just all on one big, like, car thing. And then occasionally you get to play, a mini, uh, like, a mini game. There's no end-of-turn mini game thing. It's just everyone's on a big car, and that's how it works, and it's awful. Now... I can at least appreciate the fact that, you know, you can only do a thing for so long before you need to change it. Um, and that was clearly what the case was here, and they decided to do that. Um, but sometimes as well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that was obviously what they tried to do as well. Um, is there any... I don't know. Is there any way back for this series? Like, I think about the fact... I think about Mario Party on the Switch, um, as I think about a lot of games on the Switch. And I think about the fact that you already have the two Joy-Con controllers, so you've already got um, two controllers that are good to go. And you only need another person who has a Switch. And I know a fair few people these days that have you know, another Switch. So you can easily get four controllers. Um, I think about the fact that possibly the controller isn't the, the Joy-Con controller on its side isn't the best controller to use for some of these types of games. Um, I, so, you know, I specifically think about the actual... Uh, uh, the, the analog stick can be a bit frail and I think about games where you need to rotate that in a circle less chance of destroying your hand at least 
Um, do you think there is a place? You know, we, we've come so far along. We've had Mario Party games now for about 17, 18 years. Um, do you see them sticking to Mario Party on the 3DS? Do you think that they'll make the jump to the Switch? Do you think that maybe they will fuck it? Everyone's doing the hate. Everyone's in the uh, the HD remake game, and we'll do like a bundle of one, two, and three for the Switch. You know, where do you see this series going? Yeah, they could easily do that, and it would be a lot of fun. Uh, it it just depends whether they are looking to monetize the old versions of the game or whether they're comfortable with the direction that it's gone on, because I kind of feel like the last two have been real disappointing. And I hope they listen to the community. I'm sure there is a community of, of Mario Party enthusiasts, so that if they are going to make an 11 that they put on the Switch, they kind of go back to the old format. And it seems like a no-brainer to have on the Switch. Like, I'd say like the Jackbox Party Pack has sort of perfected the you know party-based minigame thing. So if you could have mario party that you can go and play online and like the old format with a bunch of people then that would be a lot of fun like i would love to connect up with you and dave and say like i don't know brian or something and just play <laughs> like a four-way mario party game on like one of the old school boards that would be a lot of fun uh, i just don't know what the demand for it really is like i don't know how the last couple have sold and it just depends where Nintendo's priorities are. But I would like to see a return to form for the series. Or, as you say, like the first three in a package. Like, they could have easily brought that 3DS game out of the the best mini games for Mario Party on the Switch. And, yeah, I think it probably would have done quite well on there. But the first Mario Party property released on the Switch, I guarantee, will move units. And uh, I guess we'll start to, to round this up. Uh, Jack, I'll leave this to you again. Uh, give me the elevator pitch or your 30-second pitch to anyone who's never played Mario Pie before. Uh, I will just quickly say that my five-second pitch is just go watch any Giant Bomb video of them playing Mario Pie. But Jack, the floor is yours. Mario Party is an interactive board game with mini-games at the end of each round that you can play with a bunch of people that don't really know how to play any video games and you can all have a fantastic time or you could play it with a bunch of hardcore video game fans who are all going to end up wanting to murder each other by the end of playing it but the whole experience is a brilliant social uh, experiment as to see how you uh, react in these different environments and whether or not you get tactical or whether you're just in it or whether you just want to see the world or the game itself burn, you can take any approach you want. The outcome really doesn't matter. It's more about the general experience of playing the game. And there aren't many games I could say that about and feel genuine and have a smile on my face at the end of it, no matter what happens. And with that, um, we're not going to make an announcement for what is played next week. If Dave is back uh, we'll probably actually do L.A. Noir because I know he announced that before he uh, he went uh, on his assignment. Um, so we'll leave that and we'll wait and see. Um, but this podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcast platforms. Just search Link to the Cast. Give us a subscribe, a rating, a review. It all helps. The website is linktothecast.eu. If you want to get in touch, please drop us an email at linktothecast at gmail.com. 
Uh, social media is facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and we're on Twitter at link to the cast as well. Uh, my name is Mark Robinson. You can follow me at Lithium Project. He is Jack Lazell. You can follow him at Jack Lazell. Uh, if game, games aren't your only interest, we also have a few podcasts for you that are available in the uh, links of the cast uh, network podcast feed. Uh, we have the Grap Up, which is our once every few months pro wrestling podcast, uh, generally including some combination of myself, Dave, Jack, and the Chair Shot podcast owned Barry Murphy. Our most recent show was a huge breakdown of uh, WrestleMania week, as we, well, we did a preview for that. Um, so we're still a few weeks away before we do another one of those. Um, then we also have the Popcorn Social, which is a monthly deep dive into the latest cinema offerings with Jack and Dave. Um, their last show uh, discussed Pacific Rim Uprising, Game Night, Red Sparrow, Isle of Dogs, The Square, Michael Inside, plus old favourites Trouble the Water and Moneyball. And as Jack has just mentioned at the start of the show, um, they'll have a kind of 3.5 special coming up, which will look at the MCU. Uh, which I'm really oh yeah to. I'm really looking forward to listening to that actually um, yeah I reckon that'll be good um, these podcasts plus our weekly links to the cast flagship broadcast are all available in the same podcast feed so one subscription to link to the cast on your favorite podcast platform will do the trick and uh, there are many 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 episodes to go back and listen to uh, including still our most listened to episode which was on uh, Batman Arkham Asylum uh, which at this point has about 1,300 listens. I don't know who the friggin' hell is still listening to that. I still believe it's because it has a picture of Zlatan, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He is the draw. He is the man. Um, Maybe Zlatan's listening to it just so he can look at his own image. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest, to be fair. Uh, but yeah. Did you see him on that talk show? It's in America. No, no, I did not. Basically doing the I am Zlatan gimmick. He was it, he was a gimmick version of Zlatan, and it was fantastic. Is he almost is he almost like a caricature of himself? Is that where we're at with with Big Zlats? He's Hulk Hogan, yeah. <laughs> he is he is living his gimmick. Oh, uh, anyway, with that, this has been episode one hundred and nine. Thank you for listening, and we will see you again next week. Tata.